Hey friends, hope you had a Merry Christmas and happy holiday season. Whatever it was you were celebrating, hope it was great. The Free Trail Podcast is back one final time in 2021 for an end of year recap of all the news and performances and stories from the world of trail and ultra running alongside my good friend and frequent collaborator, Corinne Malcolm is here and we compressed the last 365 days into an hour of ultramarathon conversation. And as usual, when Corinne and I get together, we had a lot to talk about as uh, two voters for Ultra Runner uh, of the Year, Ultra Running Magazine's end of year award. Corinne and I started our conversation by ticking through the top three from our ballots. We talked about some of the international athletes deserving of recognition. We talked about the performances of the year from our perspective, some of the biggest news stories. Uh, we handed out the Bill Duper Spirit Award, which was my creation to honor two people who have made contributions to the sport outside of race performance. And then we finish with some future predictions, some fun prognosticating and some personal reflections from the year that was. It is always great to talk to Corinne. She always opens my eyes and my brain to new things. And it was great to close the year off with her here on the pod. If you don't already, go subscribe to Trail Society where Corinne is a co-host. Uh, a new episode went up yesterday as it does every other Tuesday. And Corinne, Keeley, and Hillary are always creating great content. We are super proud to have them part of the Free Trail Podcast Network, part of the team here. They really are great. So if you enjoy this conversation with Corinne, make sure you don't miss their podcast too. Before we get to it, a final thank you to Copper Sport, who is sponsoring this episode as they have all of our episodes over the past month. The great European trail running compression and apparel brand. They are such great people with phenomenal products and we are so appreciative of their support over the past month. Feel free to go shopping for yourself or for a loved one over at coppersport.com. Use code FREETRAIL20, all capital letters, FREETRAIL20 for 20% off your purchases. That code is only active for another two days. So go use it now if you need some fresh trail running swag. Okay, thanks everyone for listening this year. It has been an amazing 12 months for me and for this podcast. I really appreciate you guys being here. Let's end it on a high note. Joining me once again, our favorite recurring guest of the podcast, my favorite person to geek out on the great sport of trail and ultra running with, Corinne Malcolm joins us again. Corinne, say hello to the people. Hi, so happy to be here. I was just texting Dylan like five minutes ago being like, hey, uh, so I need a link for today. <laughs> Come on, man. So. I was upstairs making a hot beverage and uh, leisurely making my way down to the Zoom platform to send a link to Corinne. Corinne, you are broadcasting from the great state of Washington. It is a cold day there. I am at home in Portland, Oregon. The Pacific Northwest is experiencing a bit of a cold snap. We were supposed to drive down to San Francisco yesterday and got stymied by the uh, road conditions on I-5. Headed Wait. home with our tail between our legs. 
It's okay. My dad is, I'm sure, still sitting at SeaTac trying to fly back to the Midwest right now. So you're just one one of many Washington, Washington, Oregon, Californians stranded on the Western seaboard during this yeah. very cold, cold wintry snap. Yep. People live on the West Coast can be soft in dealing with the harsh uh, weather conditions, but you and I are tougher than that. And here we are battling these... <laughs> treacherous conditions to record a podcast, a year-end podcast to talk about the year in trail and ultra running. And as I said, you're my favorite person to talk about this stuff with. We've had such a fun time this year, uh, sort of having the opportunity to do a lot of fun uh, commentary and analysis of the sport together. And so I figured it would be great to end the year as a team going over some of the the major storylines and I sort of just drew up a little outline for us where we're going to go through sort of the ultra runners of the year. You and I are both voters. Corinne, you are a new voter uh, for ultra running of the, of the year. This is your first year on the panel. Any comments on that before we launch into our, our outline here? Yeah. I don't know if I was an, an afterthought, maybe someone bailed and I was listed in like the runners up the waitlist category, but I got, I uh, got the email I don't know, a week before the ballots were due saying, Hey, do you have time to do this? And I said, yes, yes, please. So it's been uh, fun to dig around in the spreadsheet and remember performances that happened during this year, but seemingly a long, long time ago. And it was kind of cool to harken back to like Bandera of, you know, 2021. Cause that seems, I forgot that it took place despite it, you know, being right around the corner again. So very, very cool to kind of dive back through some things and actually look how, at how like the year shook out, particularly from like a North American slanted, um, you know, endurance performance. It was yeah. very cool. Very, very yeah. Such a good point too. Like as somebody who's has been a voter for three or four years now, one of the things that I try and remind myself is to not have recency bias. It's so easy to forget races like Bandera and Black Canyon Chuck a nut and way too cool, even though those races didn't happen this year, but it's always important to, yeah, not uh, only think about UTMB and run rabbit and, uh, ultra trail Cape town, but instead keep the whole year in mind. So we're going to talk all about the ultra runners of the year on the men's and women's side. Obviously we're going to talk a little bit about some of the international runners of the year, and then, of course, performances of the year, FKTs, and some of the other interesting stories and predictions for the future. So, Corinne, why don't you get us started? Let's start with sort of ultra runners of the year, 2021. Let's start with the women, and uh, I'll follow you up. Yeah, you want to hear my my one, two, three? Yeah, let's go one, one two, three. And then if there's any uh, sort of honorable mentions, feel free to throw those out too. Yeah, I, I thought that the women's field in general did a really good job of um, every... When, when evaluating like the women's performances and the men's performances this year, one thing that stood out to me was the fact that the women really had like a, a year long resume, whereas I felt, felt like a lot of guys had like a one-off performance that was incredibly good, but didn't have anything else to really kind of like compare apples to apples or apples to bananas or whatever's going on out there. So my, um, when you're going about trying to rank runners, it, it becomes a bit tricky and some biases are naturally going to slip in. So what I did they liked to kind of their, each of their like pinnacle performances and then kind of went to like the next thing in line there. And if there was any weight that I could give there. So I went one Courtney DeWalter two Camille Heron, three Annie Hughes. And I think the Annie Hughes in third is probably what's going to swing people, but, um, her Leadville performance followed up by watching her at Moab 240, which was I'm biased probably because I saw her physically do the feat. 
um, swung her over my four and five, which were Sabrina Stanley and Addie Bracey. It's a, a great ballad. I had Courtney DeWalter and Camille Heron one and two also. Great minds think alike, of course. Courtney DeWalter smashing UTMB in a way that she did. I think that performance alone is worthy of Ultra Runner of the Year. But then, of course, being the champion that she is, she didn't stop there. She won uh, Ultra Trail Cape Town. She won the San Juan Solstice, a classic Colorado race in course record fashion, a few other local races. So even with a hard rock DNF, Courtney was at the top of my ballot. And then Camille, of course, at Havelina, probably the second best performance of the year, in my opinion, on the women's side. Absolutely insane uh, victory there for her in course record in the desert on a course that really suits her. And then following it up at desert solstice with another American record. And then, yeah, the tough finish at Western States too, is just like, can't help but respect that and factor that into my consideration for Camille Heron, who battled through a really tough race to finally get a finish at Western States after multiple DNFs there. I can't remember exactly how long it took her. Corinne, do you remember it was like 28 or 29 hours? It was like 28 hours. She took a long nap at the river is what happened there. And she got back up. I think she actually, she finished right before I came back into the booth to do golden hour stuff. So yeah, probably high 29. Yeah. So really, really great season from Camille. And I'm actually having her on the podcast here soon. And it sounds like she's very uh, focused on Western States for next year. And I think finally getting that finish under her belt there will set her up to finally uh, race to her potential at Western States. And we would all love to see that. And then my third person, instead of Annie Hughes, I put Brittany Peterson on my list. She, again, going back to having to use our memory a little bit as voters for ultra runner of the year. Uh, Brittany Peterson, we will remember had an amazing dominant performance at black Canyon uh, winning there in February of this year, a gritty fourth place finish at Western States. I think you and I were both very impressed with her. there, just battling through all day and following up a second place finish with a fourth place finish. Really great uh, run from Brittany there. And then finishing the year second to Camille at Havelina. She did have a DNF at UTMB, but I felt that the combination of Black Canyon, Western States, and Havelina uh, was enough to to put Brittany Peterson in the top three for me in yeah, Ultra Runner of the Year. She's well in my top in my top 10, um, particularly hearkening back to that Black Canyon's performance and being the top American, remembering that this Ultra Runner of the Year is a North American really very, very US centric, um, ballot. And so, um, being the top American at Western States definitely has a lot of sway. I feel like when it comes to lining up the performances against, you know, where can we find head to head competition between these men and these women, um, when it comes to totally to to scoring the, the whole thing. So that was very impressive as well. Yeah, no, great point. It was a Brit, a Kiwi, and a Spaniard, one, two, three on the women's race at Western States with Brittany being the, the, the first American. Let's go to the men. You're going to make me go first again? I can go first. So uh, there's a know, logical I, first, I would say, right? Yeah. Logical first, like Courtney DeWalter, the uh, male equivalent to Courtney DeWalter, the great Jim Walmsley, again, ultra runner of the year. I think this is year number five. Why don't you look that up while I talk about it? I think this is five years in a row for Jim, which is remembering that we didn't insane. vote in 2020. In 2020. So it's either four or five, I think, for Jim Walmsley, if he does, in fact, retain his ultra run of the year um, placement. And I think it is pretty safe to assume that other voters would probably agree with us that that is uh, 
the case. So Jim Walmsley, just to recap his uh, season, he nearly broke the 100K road world record at the Hoka Carbon X uh, event that happened. I think it was in February of this year. Of course, he then won Western States in dominant fashion for the third time in a row, winning by 80 minutes and running the fourth fastest time ever on the course in what was obviously historically tough conditions and then finishing his season with a win at ultra trail Cape town. So again, he DNF'd at UTMB. We're all still waiting for Jim to race to his potential at UTMB and hopefully, uh, by, uh, sort of turning down his M one bib at Western States next year, he'll finally line up in Chamonix and give that race his full attention. And then second place, I had the great Portland resident Tyler green in second place on my ballot, uh, who had an awesome, super consistent season. Very excited to see Tyler really coming into his own as an athlete and, um, yeah, hopefully getting the, the respect that he deserves from the voters. He got snubbed last year. We didn't even make the top 10. Was it last year or the year 2019, 2019. Thank you, Corinne. So, uh, Tyler green was, uh, my second uh, place mail. And then Adam Peterman was third for me. Um, so just to kind of recap that, did, did you have something similar so I can super, super similar. Okay. Then then you go. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So once again, Jim in first for me, and then I had a little flip-flop. I had, um, Anthony Costales in second and Tyler green in third. Cause although I found Tyler's performance at, um, at Western States, incredible. Um, I was really just very excited by Anthony Costales's kind of, he, he raced a little bit more and not to say that more is better, right. But he performed well at, um, Moab red hot 55 K back in February of 2021, um, winning that one behind the rocks, ultra 50 mile in Moab, Utah as well. Um, in March of 2021, um, canyons in a really epic throwdown, um, you know, being chased by the likes of Max King and then his second place at um, run rabbit, I thought was an incredibly solid hundred mile. I think that's his first hundred mile. Yep. That's his hundred mile because he didn't race Western States cause he was injured. Yep. So to so. have him come back from injury and put that together at the end of the season, bumped him into number two on my list. But again, like one, two, three makes a lot of sense to me. And then as I got deeper into my top 10 that we submitted on our ballot, like things got a little bit weird because yeah. I had to figure out, you know, what is the body of work for each of these male athletes. So that was kind of, uh, Jim, Anthony Costales, and then Tyler green in third was my top three. Yeah, no, I would totally agree The the women's ballot I thought was much easier, or at least there was more to work with there than the men's ballot. And, uh, I definitely found at least the second five of the top 10 in the men's ballot to be kind of difficult to place in a way that I felt really confident about it, but I put a lot of thought into it. So I just want to kind of recap what I had said earlier. So Tyler green was my second winning at black Canyon, second at Western States, a gritty, I think it was like 10th at TDS. Hard race. Yeah. He was third at uh, the Tillamook burn behind Mario Mendoza and drew Holman. So even though it was a local race, it was still good competition. And so uh, Tyler green was second for me and Adam Peterman, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes you just have to like, look at the specific performances. And so he only ran two ultras, but both of those ultras speed goat 50 K and JFK 50, he ran historically fast times. So he broke Jim Walmsley's course record at speed goat 50 K and then ran the second fastest time ever missing Hayden Hawks's course record 
at JFK by only a couple of seconds. So Adam Peterman, I think is a rising star could be the next Jim Walmsley. And, uh, he ran a couple great sort of sub ultra races. Of course you can't factor that into the voting process, but he had a good race at, uh, the Pikes Peak marathon and then won the trail marathon championships for the third year in a row. So Adam Peterman, I think is a rising star deserving of uh, recognition in this year's ultra run of the year ballots. But yeah, just those two ultras for me, because they were historically significant. They were, they ran, were impressive. They were he ran super, times super commensurate impressive. with some of the best we've ever seen in the sport. Um, was yep, he's in my top. Adam Peterman made my top five and this is a good segue. I think before we do international runner of the year to do rookie of the year, maybe. Okay, cool. Yeah, please. And, and that is because Adam Peterman is my male rookie of the year for those exact reasons. Rookie of the year being one where it's like generally their first significant season or, you know, even like their first, their first real season. And, and I really struggled on the women's side with this, but for men, Adam Peterman was my clear rookie of the year. He, he's got a bunch of, he's got some, you know, sub ultra trail stuff in his background, but this was really his first year of ultra running and to put together those performances, um, again, you know, insanely fast speed goat 50 K and insanely fast JFK taking the win there was just, I thought head and shoulders was like a very obvious pick for, um, the male rookie of the year. And I want to find my female rookie of the year. And I struggled with the female rookie of the year. I'll do this one too. And then you can tell me what yours are. I double dipped. I had Annie Hughes as my rookie of the year. <laughs> um, she's got definitely more of an ultra history than Adam Peterman does. Um, so it's kind of like, is she technically a rookie? But I think that this was very much in a way, a breakout year for her uh, youngest ever winner of Leadville hundred um, insanely good performance at Moab 240. watching her run out of aid stations where everyone else was walking like the top five men included in that was very, very cool. I know that she has signed up for Cocodona this spring. So, um, I'm a little bit terrified of Anna Hughes and I'm excited to see, you know, someone that young with that much grit and clear talent come into the sport as well. Corinne, great minds think alike. And we had the exact same rookies of the year. I had Adam Peterman on my podcast like two weeks ago and I titled the podcast rookie of the year. He, yeah, obviously no brainer. As you just mentioned, I think he is the next huge star in the sport. I think Hoka was very lucky to sort of capture him when they did. And uh, I think he's got, you know, a decade plus of incredible performances ahead of him. And then Annie Hughes was my rookie of the year too. Just, yeah. Like you said, by virtue of the fact that she's so young, having, you know, been in the sport for a little while, this was definitely sort of a year where, she sort of took the next step, winning the likes of the Leadville 100, a legendary race. Having that in your resume for any athlete is amazing. But then also winning the Moab 240, among many other things. My hope for Annie that is that she is getting some good direction, being so young, making sure that she is around the sport for a long time. Uh, I think she's also Hoka-sponsored athlete as well. So, yeah, both uh, Adam Peterman and Annie Hughes are proving that uh, the depth of talent on that team and the futuristic look that they have as a, a big uh, presence in the sport from an athlete perspective is very evident. So Adam Peterman, Annie Hughes, unanimous rookies of the year here on the free trail podcast, end of year podcast, end of year episode. Let's talk about our international ultra runners of the year. You go first. 
Okay. So I, I kind of struggled with this a little bit. Um, I thought men was pretty clear. Francois Dane's performance, the double, the double hard rock UTMB was just insane. Um, although I think, you know, his hard rock performance was even more impressive. And then I think when you take hard rock legs into UTMB, it's kind of insane to come out with a win like that, even on maybe an imperfect day for the men's field. Um, I also, but there were, there were so many other men, like I kind of like, Oh, I wonder what the data looks like here. Trying to dive deeper into that. So Francois was my male international athlete of the year. And then I had a toss up. So I'm going to, I'm hedging my bets here for the women, um, between Kemi Bruas, who was second at UTMB and won Lavaredo. Um, I couldn't, I didn't spend too much time, but I couldn't find more there for the season. And I was like, oh, if she had a third race, that'd be an easy one to put in there. And then Ruth Croft, I think was the other like very phenomenal um, performance this year, only because Beth Pascal dropped out of UTMB. That's kind of where the shuffle happened for me. Ruth Croft won Tarawera last um, winter, was um, second at Western States, sat out of CCC at UTMB, which was a smart decision for her, and then came back and won at La, La Tempier at the end of the season um, in a really fast time. So that was kind of the like trying to balance, like how many races did they run? Where, where were they smart? What decisions did they make? And so um, I'd probably tip my hat more to Ruth Croft in that regard, just you having a more well-rounded um, race resume for the season. And then, yeah, so Ruth Croft and Francois Dehane, Dehane will be my, my male and female international ultra runner of the year. Yeah. Great. So of course, uh, great minds think alike. So I'll just kind of add uh, a couple of other thoughts here. Uh, I also had Ruth Croft and Beth Pascal and Camille Bruyas. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to follow Camille Bruyas, uh, French runner over the next few years. She seems to be a rising star. In fact, when you and I were doing the UTMB commentary, we got messages, I think it was from Katie Scheid, right? Who sent us uh, notes sort of tipping us off to what Camille had been doing in the European ultra scene this year, by virtue of the fact that she finished second at UTMB, she is automatically into Western States next year. And she has accepted that ticket. So Camille Bruyas is a name to remember for ultra fans out there. She will be coming stateside uh, in the summer next year to try her hand at the great American hundred miler, that being a uh, Western States. And then on the men's side, of course, Francois, everybody knows the best in the world right now, especially for long hundred milers. Uh, so my sort of honorable mention was Aurelien Dunod Palaz, a really great French athlete who I think is also worthy of attention here in the next five years or so. I think he's still only like 29 years old, but he started a season by winning Trans Grand Canaria, of course, one of the most important races on the European circuit, finished second to the great Francois Dane at uh, UTMB, and then finished his season with a third place finish behind Killian and your teammate Dima uh, at uh, Ultra Pyreneo. So Aurelien Dunod Palaz is, I think, a, definitely a name uh, that we'll be hearing a lot more of here in the next few years. And he, fortunately for him, got pulled in the hard rock lottery. So he is also coming stateside next year. And we will all, as American ultra fans, get to witness him racing on our home turf, probably on a course that really does suit him and facing off against the likes of Francois Dane and Killian Journey. So uh, Aurelien Dunod Palaz is my uh, sort of honorable mention there. But again, we, uh, we're on the same wavelength. So let's transition to performances of the year. I think we can just kind of tick through these quickly. I can go five deep if you feel like it. 
Because uh, I think these are actually very good. And I wonder if, um, do you have your ballot I, up in front of you? I have the top three up in front of me. I'd have to find my ballot. Which Let's I just go do. top three then. Um, the other thing too, honorable mention, one more international guy in part because he races pre- predominantly subultra coming in from an OCR background is Jonathan Albin with his win at Le Tempier and his OCC course record um, at UTMB. And there's my dog alerting us that my mother-in-law is home. So um, I'll release her out of the room. So she's not quite okay. so loud. We'll, we'll hit pause. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Free Trail mobile app, the first mobile training platform specifically for trail runners. That's right, within the app, you'll find a library of informational and inspirational material dedicated to helping you along your trail running journey. This includes an abundance of training plans for runners of all skill and experience levels, along with how-to training content, strength and mobility sessions, yoga, breath work, women's health, and much, much more. Free Trail also has a very forward-facing community feature where members get to interact, share the highs and lows of their journey, and generally develop friendships with other like-minded people. We also do weekly Zoom calls for subscribers where we get to connect and learn from each other, which has absolutely become the highlight of my week. This month, we are running a 20% discount on the annual subscription, which will cost only $96, the equivalent of $8 a month. So go to freetrail.com, click the button that says download the app, and we would love to help and get to know you a little bit. Thanks so much. Performances of the year. This is an interesting um, part of the ballot and one that I feel like I did okay on, but I feel like there's some, you know, that I'm like, oh, where does that go in the top five type of thing? So we get to, we get to rank them five deep. Um, what I did on the women's side was I put Courtney DeWalter's UTMB course record as my performance of the year. Maybe that's showing some bias there, but I thought that that was in, insanely impressive to have. No witnessed. bias. That is no, one of the best right? performances like, in history. Beating yeah. Rory Bosio's time, which we all thought was insane to begin with. Like it, it was mind blowing to watch. So Courtney was my first. One record that I think most of us forgot happened. My number two is Des Linden's 50K road world record. Um, it's insane. It's like three hours something. Like it's, or maybe just under three hours. It was insane. 257 maybe. Um, I should have more notes in front of me, but I thought Des Linden's 50K, you know, despite being a roadie, despite being at 150K, I thought that that performance really deserved a little bit of credit from the ultra community. So Des Linden's 50K world record is number two for me. And then I actually put Camille Heron's Havelina course record just because the race she executed there, I thought was so insanely good. Um, to slightly different course than the original course record, but I mean, broke that time so handedly and was so solid all day that that was my third um, place position for performance of the year on the women's side over her desert solstice um, hundred mile track record. Cause the, the Havelina stood head and shoulders as like much more impressive in my mind. Yeah, I agree. Wasn't she like fourth overall too at Havelina? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And and the consistency. She was only she like 45 with, minutes behind the male winner, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Behind Arlen. Like it was, it was a textbook execution of, a, of an ultra. It was, yeah. that was very cool to watch. I thought. In you know, that guy program. Arlen Glick could be one of our honorable mention rookies of the year too. I look forward to keeping my eye on him. He's running yeah. Western States next year too. I think we need to keep an eye on him just because I think he doesn't, hasn't gotten as much notice. I think part in part, the races that he's chosen to run, but he's run them insanely well. So we'll have to keep an eye on him at Western States this year. 
Yeah. Cool. So I'll just take through my top five, uh, performances of the year on the women's side, just for fun. We'll go five deep and I have them up in front of me. I had, uh, Courtney DeWalter, UTMB, historically great performance, obvious number one in my mind. Then I had Camille at Havelina, and then I had Dez, and then I had Hillary Allen at Madeira, uh, by virtue of the fact that it was a very deep competitive race and Hillary led from start to finish. I thought it was a convincing victory, one deserving of attention. And then, uh, Sabrina Stanley at Hard Rock missing um, Diana Finkel's course record by only a couple of minutes on the Hard Rock course. Those were my top five. Let's transition over to the men. Corinne, you go first, or do you want me? I can go first. So I think my first one might be controversial. I think a lot of people are going to put Jim Walmsley's 100K um, American record as as the performance of the year. But I actually thought that his, I thought him three-peating at Western States was the performance of the year because that is so insanely hard to do. It was not the best time he's ever run there. It was not the easiest Western States he's ever run there, but it was to three-peat at Western States. He got my automatic number one position. Um, And then actually I had Zach Beaven and his strolling gym course record as my number two. It was, I think, the oldest course record in the data sheet that we were given. It was something like from the 80s. Um, I thought that that was an insanely impressive performance. I think it was a, I'm just trying to pull up the actual. I got it um, here. Um, Hillary, uh, yeah. The old record was set in 1991. By Andy Jones Wilkins. Not Andy Jones Wilkins, Andy Jones. Jones. Yeah, okay. just Andy Jones. But yeah, it looks like he broke the course record by four minutes. 30 year old course record for Zach Beaven, 26 yeah. years old. So he got my number Kentucky. two. He got my number two and he had a good season. He had a great performance at JFK as well. He's someone to keep um, our eyes on. He was second, I think, to Adam Peterman at yep. JFK. So we'll keep an eye on him. Obviously more of a fast road um, ultra guy, but that strolling gym record is super old. And that was, it's not necessarily pulling the most competitive runners every single year, but it's been a longstanding record in the sport. And then um, actually Nick Curry with his um, American 24 hour record, at Desert Solstice just a couple of weeks ago, got my number three position for performance of the year. Yeah. Great list. Great list. I, uh, yeah, this, uh, Zach Beaven name is actually new to me. And I guess I didn't look at my spreadsheet thoroughly enough because he didn't make my top five, but yeah, another interesting runner. looks like a young guy, only 26 years old, taking down a 30 year old course record. And as you said, finishing second at JFK, to Adam Peterman. But speaking of Adam Peterman, this might be controversial. I put him down with his speed goat 50 K victory and course record as the performance of the year for me. I admittedly am somebody who is more biased towards the longer races, hundred K hundred miler. And typically, in fact, I've probably have only voted for performance of the year for hundred mile races, but I felt that Adam Peterman uh, being only 26 years old, coming out of nowhere and breaking a Jim Walmsley held course record at the Speedgoat 50K, a race that most every fast guy has run many times. Uh, for him to come and break that course record was, uh, I think, very impressive. And uh, again, I think just reiterating our point that he is a rising star and uh, can't wait to see what he does in the future. And I think it's just kind of remarkable that he's in the conversation here, not once, but a couple of times I'll tick through my full top five, but like you, I had Jim Walmsley also high. He was number two for me, three peating at Western States in crazy tough conditions. What more can you say about this champion? He is uh, really 
the best of our generation for sure. And uh, yeah, third victory at Western States was number two for me. Then I had Nick Curry's American record at number three, which he just did at Desert Solstice. And Nick Curry was also in, I think, like fourth or fifth for me in my ultra runner of the year voting. He had a sneaky, had a solid, solid year. year. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I had Adam Peterman's run at JFK, number four on my list. So Adam Peterman making two appearances in my top You're five. You're an Adam Peterman super fan. I am. Well, dude, I mean, JFK, that race has been around for 50 years. You're in the second fastest time, only seconds he was behind under, Hayden. Under course record. I mean, he was under Hayden's time for a while yeah. too. Like it was, it was setting up to be like the perfect, like head to head of the previous times. It was a very good run. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's amazing. He's 26 years old and he's thrown down times with some of the best that we've ever seen on races that have been around forever. So, uh, well-deserved I think. And then I had, uh, Walmsley five at carbon X his a hundred K road near world record. Again, I think both these lists, the top five for women and men are, I mean, I wouldn't make an argument if anybody, you know, flipped mine upside down and made hit, you know, the opposite. So, um, I think it was, you're sort of choosing, uh, or picking between, uh, a bunch of fantastic performances and it's tough to really split hairs and determine which one is best. And it's all sort of part of your personal perspective, but those are my top five, um, transitioning. I think we talk about FKT of the year and then do a little bit more sort of higher level uh, sort of news and stories of the year, but let's, uh, just touch FKTs quickly. Of course, 2020 was the year of the FKT because all the races were canceled for the most part. It gave us all an opportunity to chase personal adventures. And then with races coming back, I think we saw a uh, lower volume of FKTs chased this year. I haven't seen the data out of the fastest known time message board, but I would anticipate that their data reflected the fact that people were happy to be back to racing and maybe chasing FKTs a little bit less, at least than they were in 2020. Um, on the men's side, I thought it was obvious. Timothy Allen Olson, PCT champion. I was lucky to spend a day with him out on the trail. He is a friend and teammate of yours. Corinne, you're nodding and uh, anticipating that you agree with me in that. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think as soon as he did that, we were like, well, that's FKT of the year, I guess, because like trying to wrap your brain around, you know, exactly how hard that is. Um, long trail FKTs, particularly like, you know, things that go beyond the 10 day or two week long window on a long trail, like you're dealing weather, you're dealing with the winter weather historically, before you even start the attempt, you're dealing with wildfires, like the getting this thing off the ground which was supposed to happen in 2020 and was postponed for a year due to the pandemic. Like it's, it's insane. Like it's, I don't think I have fully comprehended still Tim Olson's PCT this past year, because I, I like you're splitting hairs trying to get that fast. And it's, it was hands down, I think so easy to be like FKT of the year. But that being said, the men's FKTs that got thrown down this year were there were a ton of really interesting ones, a ton of really good ones. Um, there are a bunch of international, um, kind of like big long link ups that happened in Europe. Um, another one that I wanted to just like shout out as being something that I think would be like my ideal vacation was Jason um Hardrath's Washington Bulgers project, which I've always read as Washington Burgers Project, which is not not correct. Um, but it's the the hundred highest summits in Washington state with like 400. Yeah, 400,000 feet of climbing. 
Um, and he did that in, I don't know, it was like 50 days or something. So insane in part, because like some of the logistics, it's easier to get into certain peaks from Canada. I don't think they were able to do that. Um, so I thought that was a very, very cool. Sometimes FKTs are like only known times a little bit, but I thought that, that, you know, it's kind of nice to like tip your hat to something that like a project like that for like envisioning it, being creative about it. And then like executing it despite like less than ideal conditions was very, very impressive. I totally agree. And very well said. I think FKTs are sort of turning into uh, the equivalent of Strava CRs now, where so many of them are so solid that it's like hard to go after any of them. And so, yeah, you're right. I think one of the great things about FKTs is the creativity, is the fact that somebody could actually dream this up and map it out and figure out the logistics and actually make an attempt at it and for him to do it. Jason Hardrath, that is, is super, super inspiring. And I'm pretty sure there's a film being made about it. In fact, uh, he and I have been talking about recording a, a podcast here as well. Jason Hardrath, uh, an Oregonian, getting his respect here on the podcast. And uh, yeah, well-deserved. And I think he holds the most overall FKTs on the FKT message board on the fastest known time website. So shout out Jason Hardrath. Who'd you have for the women? Because this was the hardest thing for me, admittedly. Um, Yeah. So that is a really interesting lineup of FKTs. Um, And once again, like we just mentioned, sometimes it's like, is this an FKT or is this an it's a fast known time or an only known time. And again, like tipping, tipping hats to where hats should be tipped. Like I was, you know, obviously inspired by Lucy's, um, Lara Pinta trail FKT. Um, will it ever be attempted again? I don't know the answer to that, but I thought that it was just a, um, what they were able to produce out of that. And like the message they were able to share from that, I thought was really, really meaningful. But what I picked as my, what I think my women's FKT of the year is goes to, um, I think it's Nika or Nika Myers on the Colorado trail, self-supported. Um, generally speaking, the Colorado trail is going to go self-supported or, uns- or, or self-supported or supported. It's really hard to go unsupported on something quite that long, but she brought, she beat, um, or she beat, well, that doesn't sound like it's not head to head. She, um, she broke what I thought was a super stout FKT set the year before, um, by Michaela Ostier. Um, who's kind of known for being just like a long trail badass, um, who also went out to the Vermont trail this year and set a, a, a fast enough time there. So I thought that Nika Myers being able to take time off of Michaela Oster's self-supported Colorado trail, um, attempt and bring it to within four hours of the supported time was very, very interesting. Obviously self-supported, you know, you've got, you're not carrying all your gear cause you can pick up gear along the way, but to be that close to the supported time is really, really stout. So, um, Nika Give some Myers, context to the trail because the, it, the fact that it's only four hours is amazing. It's 500 yeah, so plus miles, 500 plus miles. Um, and so I think the women's supported time is like nine days and 10 hours or nine days and 11 hours. And Nika Meyer's time this year was nine days and 14 hours. Um, so out there by herself. And I think sometimes when you're on these really, really long FKTs, um, or routes in general, having people around you, even if they can't do that much for you because you're out for so long, you've got to carry stuff still. Um, it's, it's a confidence booster, right. To have someone there to make sure that you're like, so that you can sleep a little bit because you're not afraid or, um, to help, help share the gear load a little bit. So, to do it self-supported in such fast time, well under 10 days now, um, is, is saying something. So I think the fastest men's time on it in either direction, because you can go either direction, you can go East collegiate versus West collegiate, all these kind of like nuances to the Colorado trail. Um, I think the fastest men's time now is down around seven days. 
So to be, to be, you know, so close to the women's supported time on it, I thought that that was super impressive and it's a, a long trail that I want to do at some point. So I was, you know, blown away that that time came down again. I was just going to say, it sounds like the perfect challenge for one Corinne Malcolm to tackle eventually. So that, that was very, very cool. So that, that yeah, is the, who gets my ultimate nod for FKT of the year on the women's side. That's great. That wasn't even on my radar. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah, the Colorado trail iconic route that goes from Denver to Durango, 500 plus miles, definitely something that I would love to do eventually though, probably in a more, a more casual style than Corinne might tackle it in, but yeah, very cool. I'm just looking at the Colorado trail fastest known time page right now. And it looks like Betsy Kalmeyer, hard rock legend holds the supported FKT on it from way back in 2003. So Nika Myers was only three and a half hours. As you mentioned, Corinne, three and a half hours slower than Betsy Kalmeyer's time. And I think if Nico was accepting support, it's uh, not too much of a leap to assume that she would have shattered the overall or the supported FKT on the Colorado trail. I will look up Nika Myers. Uh, very interesting. Awesome. Um, well, great. Well, FKT of the year is, uh, is sorted out. So let's move on Corinne to some of the other fun things that we have on our list. I think we'll start with just kind of like the overall story of the year. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say here. I'm happy to go first if you want me to, but just kind of like the overarching sort of uh, biggest takeaway from the year, biggest story. I'll go first. That's fine. I can do that. It's a little bit scary. It's a very broad question. Um, but when I was thinking about this today, kind of walking around, I was thinking, okay, like what, what did I, what's my biggest takeaway this year? And I think my biggest takeaway for 2021 was, um, kind of organizations and people and race directors kind of being willing to, to change and to, you know, not just accept the, the norm. And in particular that comes down to trying to get more women involved in the sport. I think that the, the story of women in particular, um, in trail and all training this past year has been one that I'm really proud to be a part of. Um, with Western States coverage, with um, race directors like High Lonesome, like just allocating spots, um, equal spots for men and women, at least at the, the initial get-go. Um, Hellbender 100 did that for this year now. Um, out East, um, the Hard Rock, like the Hard Rock lottery changes to make sure that the women who put in for the lottery, that that percentage of participants is represented in the race, which now has, I think, very interestingly created actually several different wait lists for that race. I.e. if a female never drops out of the race or before the race starts a female from the never, like the never female wait list, will get to get that spot, which I think is really cool so that we make sure on race day, we're getting as many people, particularly as many women on that start line as possible. Um, so I was really a big fan of that being a narrative this year. So when I think of the overall story of the year, I'm like what's the narrative that I took home this year? And it was that women are here to throw down an ultra running. Um, and we want a seat at the table. We want a seat on the board. We want a seat. We want a place in that start list. Um, so I think getting to be a part of that actively through different organizations, but also getting to watch race directors um, and organizations step up to the plate and be willing to not just shut that down and say, well, we've always done it this other way, um, was very, it's very cool. So I'm hoping to see more and more of that and more inclusivity in our sport going beyond, you know, women versus males in the sport, but non-binary and trans athletes being represented in the sport as well. Um, I'm 
just thrilled that policies are being put in place to allow, you know, as much, as much of an equal playing field as possible to get people involved. Beautiful. Very well said, Corinne. And everybody should go subscribe to the Trail Society podcast where you guys talk all about this stuff. And I think it is a a very important thing for the entirety of our sport to prioritize if we want this sport to be taken seriously and to uh, thrive in this next generation. I think, uh, Corinne, you mentioned a lot of great things that have happened this year from sort of like a a policy side of things and sort of a uh, overall ecosystem within the sport, but I think maybe you didn't emphasize enough because again, great minds think alike. My story of the year was the performances of the women this year in the sport. So not only things like race directors making these new policies, but also 15 of the top 30 women at West or 15 of the top 30 finishers at Western States were women. Courtney DeWalter finished seventh overall at UTMB. Camille Heron ran an insanely fast time, finishing fourth overall at Havelina. Stephanie Case was third at Tour de Glossier. Your co-host, Keely Henninger, was fourth at Lake Sonoma. I mean, there's many other examples. I mean, uh, Ruth Croft won Tarawera outright um, in her home country of New Zealand. And I think there's a, a lot more uh, sort of key performances that I'm forgetting. But uh, for me, the biggest, I think, overall story of the year was just... I think the, um, yeah, just the performances of the professional women in our sport, it was incredibly inspiring. And you and I had a front row seat to the Western States performances where on an incredibly difficult day, the women put together uh, one of the best races, I think, for top 10 positions in Western States history. And uh, that was probably my most memorable thing of the entire year itself. Yeah. And it's, it's all like that. That's a, that's a cycle that will, you know, kind of like, um, continue to fulfill that prophecy, right? Like you support women, you support people in the sport. You're going to see, you know, those, those return in performances. So I think that that's very, very cool. Um, yeah. To see support from all sides, right? Like you support women in the sport, they're going to perform in the sport and to see that continue via the media and us covering it and us being able to give equal coverage at races, you know, fighting for that when it comes to live broadcast this year. So, um, I think that that's been, we're watching change happen on the ground, sometimes not as fast as we want it to happen, but, um, it was a good year. It was a good year to be a lady in running. Well, since you mentioned it, Corinne, I think the other sort of major story of the year that's worth touching on, especially between the two of us is this advent of live streaming of actually enhancing the race day experience of the fan. And, uh, I think credit due to Jamil Curry for sort of breaking the ice on this whole process at black Canyon earlier in the year. Uh, he is always an innovative thinker in the space. And then, yeah, you and I having the privilege to call the action at Western States at UTMB at broken arrow, Uh, I think this is going to be the wave of the future and definitely something that will, I think, contribute to the growth of the sport, but also contribute to people like you and I, Corinne, being able to actually show and tell people why they should care about our sport and why they should care about the athletes. And I guess just to tie things back together, I think it's been impressive uh, when you and I have been working together, you know, there's always been a focus, not only from us, but from the race directors and the production team to have equal coverage of both the men's and women's races. It's not always easy just by uh, virtue of the fact that technology is hard and where cameras are placed and things like that. But uh, we do our best. And I think 
yeah, the women's side of the sport right now is in the most exciting it's been in my history. And I uh, look forward to continuing to watch that develop. Um, let's move on to the Bill Duper Spirit Award. Uh, I guess uh, I'll set this up and then I'll go first um, yeah. because it sort of ties into something I just said. But the Bill Duper Spirit Award, this was an idea I had uh, when I recorded a podcast like this with Dominic Grossman a couple of years ago where we talked about the the decade in ultra running. Corinne and I are only talking about the year in ultra running uh, today. But Bill Duper, for those who don't know, was an ultra running super fan, uh, lived in Leadville, Colorado, but made appearances at basically all the big races in the United States. And one time even made it to Western States 100 and Solomon made a beautiful video about him. And, uh, he really is the original super fan and, uh, Corinne and I are just hoping to live up to his example as super fans ourselves, but Bill passed away a couple of years ago. And I actually recommended this to, uh, ultra running magazine was to incorporate a bill duper spirit award in there voting process. Uh, they haven't taken me up on it yet. Uh, so we'll go ahead and take it for ourselves. And, uh, the person that I put down was Jamil Curry, uh, a person who I think is probably the best entrepreneur in the sport, the most innovative thinker, and not only a great race director, who's built an incredible business in Arizona with our Viper running. He's now branched into Colorado. It looks like they're going to be setting up race operation there. He makes great content. He's generally just a, a great ambassador of the sport and employer. Um, and yeah, like I said, the person who sort of started this whole uh, revelation of, of live streaming and uh, always helps to make great uh, inspirational media content for his main sponsor, Solomon, as well. So again, the Bill Duper Spirit Award is for somebody who makes an impact outside of just being a great athlete. And I thought Jamel Curry was a great candidate this year. Yeah. I think he elevates our sport would be a great way to kind of think of Jamil, right? Like he, I think he makes us all strive to do a little bit better for races to, to organize better for uh, race coverage to be better. Like, I think that it's really cool to see him very much, you know, be responsible for pushing our, for our, our sport forward. Right. Like that we're like catching up we're, we're modernizing, I think in large part due to, due to someone like Jamil. Um, so my bill duper spirit award, um, goes to Stephanie case. Um, Stephanie case is obviously a phenomenal runner, but I think that her work that she does outside of the sport, um, for her day job and for her kind of side jobs is something that we, I don't know, that I aspire to, that maybe we all should aspire to maybe not like, you know, becoming a, a you know, a, a human rights lawyer for the UN. But, um, I think it's really inspiring to see what she does running given that she like is running tiny circles and very interesting places most of the year. But I think the big thing too, is that her, um, free to run organization, which, um, helps women in the Middle East, um, exercise, particularly in Iraq. So I think that's very, very, I don't know. I just like, that's, that's my feel good. My feel good story is Stephanie case. And I think that she's also been, a, she's used her platform. Um, there's a good ultra runner mag or trail runner mag piece on her this year. I think after she was, after she won and was third overall at, um, Tour de Glossier this summer about just like her history and what she's been up to and that she is an advocate in our sport as well, not only for, um, women living in countries where they don't have the rights to go for a run, but also in our sports here, um, advocating for representation or better representation, um, in the big races like hard rock and UTMB and that kind of thing. So I, I think that what Stephanie does outside of her own running, um, serves many, many people, um, people that we probably don't recognize are, are there. So 
Stephanie Case gets my Bill Duper Spirit Award. See, isn't this great? The Bill Duper Spirit Award is, I mean, these two people, Jamil and Stephanie Case, I think uh, would make Bill Duper very proud. And I'm so happy for everything you just said about Stephanie. I was lucky to have her on the show a couple of times and she is one of the most inspiring people in the world. I would encourage people to go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already. Uh, Stephanie Case, a very deserving uh, nominee for uh, Corinne's Bill Duper Spirit yeah. Award. Yeah, year after year after year. And same with Jamil, right? Like yeah, they've no been kidding. given, yeah. they've been giving back to our sport or to you know things adjacent to our sport for a very long time. And so, uh, overdue awards for both of them, I would say. Great. So moving on to uh, sort of favorite trail media, whether it's a video, a podcast, a book, uh, anything jump out to you there that was particularly inspiring this year? Um, I thought video. So I have my hands in too many things, right? Like I'm podcasting, I'm writing science and writing things about running. I helped Jason Coop write the second edition of his book. I am, I'm doing live commentary, uh, with you. I'm too involved in running. And so I feel like my consumption of running related material has gone down actually this year a little bit. Um, I'm not sure what that creating, means. Creating, not consuming. Yeah. I've been creating a lot and consuming less, but, um, I do think that videos kind of these like vignette race stories or athlete stories have gotten a lot better. Like, I feel like that it's being elevated, um, to things that you like beyond the super fan would want to watch. Um, so I want to give, you know, credit to where credit's due for the people that are doing that. And one of the ones that I've really enjoyed this year that came out was Solomon TV's um, long shorts video on Francois and Courtney. Um, I just think that like the way that these videos are being put together now is so much better than they were even just a couple of years ago, as far as like the narrative and even like the narration in it too. Like it just, I feel like they feel like we've become more professional in every aspect of the sport. And so I've been really, I did, I have enjoyed um, some of the kind of like medium medium short, you know, the 20 to, to 50 minute videos, which is long shorts is, is like almost an hour long, um, have been really, really good. So I have consumed a little bit of that this year. Again, great minds think alike. I thought long shorts was the best video made since unbreakable back in 2011. I thought it was fantastic. You know, not only a, a great glimpse into our sports and the great races of hard rock and UTMB, but two just phenomenally great athletes. And I think you and I would both agree that Francois and Courtney are just such great public representatives for us. And they do such a good job of making them seem like the people that they are of being humble, hardworking, interesting people who, you know, don't strive for the spotlight and don't strive for public attention, but who are instead family oriented mountain people who are just looking for a good adventure. I loved, loved long shorts. I thought it was fantastic for those who didn't see it. Yeah. Their character and, comes through, which I exactly, really liked. Exactly. And to your point there, that's the important thing, right? That's the story. Not just that these people are great athletes, but that they're also incredibly cool, humble human beings. And by virtue of that fact, they make it seem like anybody can do Anybody who can come into our sport and eventually, whether they, you know, want to just run a half marathon or eventually if they do want to do hard rock or UTMB, they make it seem like it's an approachable thing. Like it's not only for the, you know, fraction of 1% of people 
who are just supremely physically gifted. So long shorts was phenomenal. Really, really, uh, yeah, enjoyed watching that. And then I also just wrote down um, the Golden Trail series coverage, I think has been fantastic. I think, you know, Solomon has dominated trail running media for a long time. I think they've just been the best with visual storytelling, at least with with videos and, and other content. And now with the Golden Trail series, the way that they're use, utilizing social platforms and utilizing YouTube and doing live streams and then doing highlight videos, I think. And then also the fact that it's a shorter course racing format is I think really exciting. And so as we think about how the sport might develop and thinking about how people's attention spans work now and thinking about, yeah, where we might see more mass adoption of the sport. It probably is more in the the sort of shorter distance stuff, at least to start with as people get introduced to trail running. And I think the golden trail series and Solomon have done a great job of highlighting that race series um, and the athletes that take part in it. So I had that down for trail running media as well. Yeah. Did you watch the the videos they've most recently released like their little kind of yeah. post series TV I, series? I haven't yet, but I was talking to Tyler about it They're on good. our run the other day. Yeah. They did a really great job with it. Yeah. They're yeah. There's, there's, well, maybe this is a, like leading into the next, the predictions piece of the puzzle here, but well, let's go for it. Um, so I think that, you know, as you mentioned, Solomon has kind of dominated the media aspect of our sport and my, some of my predictions for 2022, I like, when I thought about this, it wasn't like, oh, this person's going to crush it or, you know, oh, the young guns are coming for us or whatever. It was that we're in this really interesting place in our sport where we've got this kind of power struggle going on. We've got Solomon with their series. We've got, um, you know, we've got Hoka with, you know, the UTMB series and like all the races that are going to be falling under that. We've got, um, you know, we've got other major players in, in the sport who have to direct their athletes somewhere, right? Like, are the North face athletes going to do this? Are the Adidas Terex athletes going to do this or that? What about Nike trail? Like, I think we're, we've got this like semi power struggle happening for who is going to be, you know, controlling or deciding what direction our sport goes in. Um, and you know, does that segregate it into the, like, oh, you're in this series or that series, you know, IE like the Spartan world trail series versus the UTMB world trail series versus the Solomon golden trail series versus, you know, something that just happened in, um, the world of gravel and off-road mountain biking is that lifetime fitness has been a major, major player in it. And they just launched what they're calling the lifetime grand prix. And they selected 20 professional male athletes and 20 professional female athletes to duke it out head to head in, I think it's five races. I don't think it's six. I'm pretty sure it's five races, um, that are array of gravel racing and, um, and mountain biking. And like, that's super interesting for a huge prize purse. The prize purse is like $250,000. Um, and it's like, okay, so like, are they a player in our sport? Is this something that we see coming down the pipeline? So I'm really curious as to how these series well, Lifetime owns Leadville. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's not out of the question that Lifetime couldn't figure out some way to be involved in the trail running space beyond Leadville. And so I think it's like, what is going to happen with the battle of the series? As an athlete, what do you commit to? As a brand that might not be the title brand of you know, UTMB or the golden trail series, like what, what do you do with your athletes? What do you prioritize? What do you incentivize? And how do you incentivize races that might be outside of those series that are still important races? So 
I don't know that as a prediction more than like a foreshadowing. No, yeah. But I am fascinated by the probability of both as an athlete myself and working closely with our team manager, trying to figure out like, how do you, what do you do? What yeah. do you prioritize? What's important? How do you decide what's going to be important this year versus next year? Um, when looking at something like UTMB trying to be the crown, the crown event. So, um, it's well, all, let's, let's riff on this for a little bit, because I think this is really fascinating. It might be illuminating to our listeners, Corinne, the way I see it is, you know, obviously UTMB is trying to consolidate as much of the important racing as possible. And effectively skyrunning has basically disappeared from my observation. So, and in, in its place, it seems like golden trail series has sort of taken the dominant position in the shorter distance, mostly sub ultra distance racing. So I think the interesting thing might be Corinne, whether UTMB and golden trail series start to compete with one another, if UTMB starts to incorporate 20 to 30 K races into their portfolio as well, which I think they probably plan to do given what they want their championship series to be right. Qualifying for the 20 K world world championship race versus the 50 K OCC world championship race. Like they're going to have to make a play at shorter distance racing. And I think from a branding perspective, most, although ultra and trail running are not synonymous when it comes to brands thinking about this, where, what, what do we think about 20 Ks for? We think about like our young athletes, our development athletes, right? That were a 50 K might not be appropriate or hundred K might not be appropriate. There's, you know, the trail half to trail marathon distance where it's much easier to send, you know, the younger, the younger, newer athletes to. And so it's like, although once it's, again, it doesn't have to be synonymous with, you know, trail and ultra, but I think that that is, you know, like, how do you, yeah. What do brands do versus yeah. Do you, does UTMB and golden trail series just like spark an epic battle. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I sort of think of it similar to how professional triathlon is structured now where Ironman basically owns the middle and long distance racing. And then the ITU series owns the Olympic distance racing. And if we go back to what we were just saying about the golden trail series and their media initiatives, it's really fun to consume. And it's the type of thing that somebody could sit down and watch for an hour and a half or two hours, right? Which surprised both of us, right? We did the coverage yeah. for Broken Arrow and but we that's thought it why, was phenomenally entertaining. Yeah. And that's why ITU distance, Olympic distance triathlon is the distance that it is because it can be incorporated into an Olympic broadcast, right? Mm -hmm. And so with trail running, the Golden Trail series sort of fits that mold, right? And then the UTMB world series, not ironically in partnership with Ironman is sort of taking over the Ironman version of, uh, of this, uh, comparison. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't think it's going to be a winner take all thing, but I think it's a really great observation for you as part of our predictions. Uh, yeah, just see a little bit more competition on the, uh, race and, and event side of things and the race series side of things. And I think it will be interesting to see where athletes prioritize their big objectives. Um, for me with predictions, and this sort of goes into also could fit under overall story of the year too, is the finally big brands taking notice of our sport. You know, traditionally it's been Solomon in the North face have been the biggest brands who are 
very invested in trail running, but now including your team, Corinne, Adidas is in the game. Nike trail is finally, I have it on good authority, taking trail running seriously and investing in their athlete team. Brooks has publicly come out and said that they are going to invest equal amounts in uh, trail athletes as they do in road athletes. An insanely cool step for a brand like Brooks to take. Saucony is out there with a trail team. And I also have heard that they're really trying to build their portfolio um, on the trail side as well. So I think that's a really fascinating, positive thing for our sport. Having Nike and Adi and Brooks and Saucony and these traditionally road-oriented running brands, understanding that no trail is worth our attention. We need to make product for these athletes. We need to tell stories about what's happening in the sport and generally just invest in athletes, events, product. I think it's a really great thing. And my, my prediction of uh, the year is that I have heard that there is going to be a incorporation of trail athletes into a professional racing group. So I think that we're going to start to see, you know, traditionally road and track racing clubs start to incorporate trail athletes. And if not, at least seeing brands trying to co-locate some of their athletes into sort of a training group. Uh, I think that's going to be very interesting if this ever comes to pass in our sport. I think there's only a few places you could really do it uh, effectively, but if you co-located a bunch of athletes with a couple of coaches and a good sort of training infrastructure around them and a support system, man, it could be amazing for the sport. And I think it would also be great for a brand from a storytelling perspective. That's super interesting because we're mostly privateers, right? Like even though we're quote unquote, part of the North Face team or part of the Adidas Terex team or whatever, like you're still kind of a privateer, right? You've got your own coach, you've got your own, your own nutrition sponsors, your own, you know, side sponsors, whatever they might be, um, which is more akin to like, let's say cross country mountain biking versus road teams, right? Where all your, your main sponsor, your title sponsor and all your side sponsors kind of are, everyone on the team has those same sponsors. So that'd be really interesting to see that come to play. And I could see it in Portland or Boulder or Flagstaff where there are established teams via Nike and on and, um, Oh God. Oka, other projects like that, you know, that would be very, very cool to see that level of professionalization, um, within our sport. It's yeah, that's creative. And I do think that right now, right. As you mentioned, you know, when this comes out, you'll have made an announcement already (laughs) about leaving your like longtime title sponsor tis the season. Um, your, your, your news, your, you know, your Instagram feeds are going to be full of this for the next couple of weeks, probably as athletes, you know, thank their previous sponsors and announce new sponsors because, um, tis the season with the changing of the year, um, one year or three year contracts are coming up and, uh, people have been making moves, um, and they kind of get to reveal it now that the year will be coming to an end. You know, it's interesting, Corinne, maybe we should talk about this too. Just expanding on the point you just made, I feel now that trail athletes are finally getting the compensation that they deserve that where it's, it's sort of flipped to where the athlete sort of has more of the leverage in the contract negotiations and the brand. When I first came into the sport, it was like, please give me free shoes. Like I will be happy with that. That's how the professional quote unquote end of the sport operated. Now, 
when athletes contracts come up, they, there are a handful of solid brands wanting to make a respectable offer to these athletes. And I think with the leverage more in the hands of the athletes, we're only going to see them to continue to be compensated better, therefore being able to devote more of their time and energy to this great sport. And I think it'll only be positive for all of us from an entertainment perspective. And I think it's also worth mentioning Corinne that Killian Jornet is leaving yeah, Solomon. Left Solomon, Dakota Jones as well. 18 years. And uh, it seems, you know, from just the stuff that he's put on online that he's going to start his own thing. And I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And I'm really curious to know, yeah, is, is he starting his own company? Is he going somewhere else? Cause he's got some sort of, you know, like, is he shifting gears? Although he's in hard rock, right? Like they, they said publicly that he's not leaving for another brand. So it leaves the option on the table that he's starting his own. I mean, that's just me reading the tea leaves. I have no inside information, but yeah, nor do I. I tried. Really I, fascinating. I probed, I probed everyone I could to see if anyone sh- to shake anything loose. You know, I was turning all the books like, over. This is like Michael Jordan stuff. You know, it's amazing. And really Killian's the one athlete in our our sport who I think has the, the brand and credibility to transcend uh, a sponsor and sort of have his own. And uh, I'll be really interested to see what he does and if it's uh, consistent with his typical skill as an athlete, uh, I'm sure it'll be a success. So really, really fascinating time in our sport, Corinne. I think we both agree that it's an incredibly exciting time to be in the sport, especially as professional pontificators like we are. Let's uh, close out by just sort of listing some of our own personal highlights from the year and things that we're personally excited about as we move into 2022. Like personal, what, what do you mean? Tell, what's exciting you? What was sort of a, a highlight of the year? I can go first. So then you, you go first. So I know, out, I know okay. what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I want to cheat. So I was, I mean, this year has been huge for me in a lot of ways, like just a fascinating, exhausting, inspiring year. <laughs> just every emotion bottled up into 365 days. But I mean, one of the great highlights for me, Corinne, was getting to do the live stream with you at Western States. I mean, it was just an absolutely magical experience. One of the, my favorite days of being a proud member and participant in the great sport of trail running was sitting in a chair for 20 hours and talking into a microphone. I thought it was so fun. Finally getting the opportunity to do hard rock, huge personal highlight for me. And now just feeling like, uh, you know, new beginnings, as you just mentioned, uh, I just announced today that I'm going to be parting ways with my longtime main sponsor, the North face and going on to do some new, really fun, different, exciting things that I think are going to stretch me both as an athlete, but also intellectually, uh, putting on a race myself now in the new year with the gorge waterfalls, 50 K and hundred K and uh, devoting all my time and energy to sort of trying to build a, a cool media company here with Free Trail. So it's been a, a, an amazing year for me, a lot of personal highlights and a lot of things to look forward to in 2022. What about you? Yeah, it was such a weird year for me. I mean, I think it's just like the pandemic continued in a little bit just because I I haven't raced since February of 2020. Um, just having a long-term, I know having a long-term injury, 
Um, but I'm really excited that I've gotten to think about racing again. So I'm working on my spring, my spring schedule. If that means going to, um, trans Grand Canaria or Madeira, we're kind of trying to figure that out right now, but yeah, getting to, I don't know, kind of fall into doing more commentary and getting to do that, you know, in a way professionally has been really, really cool. And I'm excited, you know, having to sit down with you and being like, Dylan, what are, what are we talking at this year? We need to make a schedule so that I can make a race schedule as well. Um, so trying to balance all of the things that I have in the air while 2021 meant finishing up some huge projects. I helped Jason Coop, um, friend of the pod, friend of both friend of us, of the pod, yep. um, write the second edition of his book, which was a huge undertaking. And that has come out successfully before the end of the year. Um, so to be published in that format has been really, really cool. Um, so I don't know, I feel like my 2022 will start with a lot of change. We'll be moving to somewhere. We're not sure where yet, um, due to my husband's, uh, career as a medical student, soon to be resident. So to me, it's like 2021, it was a continuation of kind of like an odd, an odd 2020, but you did get married this year too. Correct? I did. Okay. I got married too. <laughs> I get to call my husband now, which is super weird. Um, but it feels like, although I didn't get to run this year, like I wanted to, I got to do a lot of really cool things. I got to be at a lot of races. Um, I got to see my people, um, both, you know, personally getting married and getting to throw a big party, um, in which no one got COVID. So that was huge. Um, and get to, you know, go to UTMB and be at Western States and be at Moab 240 and be at Broken Arrow and all these things was very, very exciting. Um, and then I resigned with my sponsor. So I'll be joining Adidas Terex for another three years, which is really exciting to feel, you know, safety and stability in that while I look towards 2022 being kind of this brand new year of possibility. So it'll likely mean a move for Stephen and I, it'll likely mean, you know, kind of an odd spring of trying to get things together, but hopefully that means racing and, um, you know, getting to spend two weeks in Tahoe in June, it's going to be okay. 2020 is going to be okay. 2021 was more than fine. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of cool projects coming down the pipeline that, you know, I more than anything, I'm going to have to learn to say no to a few things so that I can say yes, enthusiastically to the things that I really want to do. Yeah. What a great lesson. And yeah, a great answer for not being prepared for it, Corinne. So I think it's a beautifully well said, you know, in a year where you've struggled with injury, you really come into your own as a uh, media personality and, you know, mind in the sport being published in Jason Coop's book, doing a ton of great work um, with me on uh, commentary duties, starting your own podcast, now being a, a well-deserving voter for Ultra Runner of the Year. So even though you weren't able to compete the way that I'm sure you wanted to. It's a highly positive year, probably in retrospect. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, there's a silver lining always. So I feel like yeah. we got, we got a lot of, we got a lot of shit done in 2021 and there's no more, doubt. more shit to do in 2022. Always shit to do. Well, let's leave it. Let's leave it there with a lot of shit left to do. Corinne, thank you for joining me for yet another awesome podcast. It's always great to chat with you. I hope you stay warm up there in Washington state and let's connect again soon. Sounds good. Okay. That's it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Thank you to Corinne for always being game to jump on zoom and always bringing valuable contributions to the conversation. Visit this week's show notes for further material. 
If you're new to the sport, need some direction in your training or want a community to share your journey with, go subscribe to the Free Trail mobile app. We would love to have you part of the team. Also, go follow Corinne on Instagram. If you don't already, link to her profile is in the show notes. Listen to her podcast, Trail Society, the second show in the Free Trail Network. New episode went up yesterday. A link again is in the show notes. And finally, I linked to both Long Shorts and the film about Bill Duper, two great pieces of trail media content that we talked about in the pod. Okay, that's it. 2021 is over. The second year of this podcast, but really the first year that I feel like we took it seriously been an incredible year. Thank you guys so, so much from the bottom of my heart. Love you dearly. Talk to you in the new year. Bye-bye.